Welcome to the Data Canteen, a podcast focused on the care and feeding of data scientists and machine learning engineers who share in the common bond of U.S. military service. I'm your host, Ted Hallam. Today, I'm chatting with former Naval Aviator Sam Seit, who's both a VDSML member and a space systems engineer at Arlen Technologies. In this conversation, we talk about how Sam's childhood interest in rockets and flight led him to pursue an education in aerospace engineering and military experience as a pilot. We also discuss how his engineering pursuits initially led to an interest in computer programming, which then grew into an interest in machine learning. And that leads us into the topic of how Sam came to win VDSML's 2021 scholarship to Fourth Brain's Bootcamp for Machine Learning Engineers. You'll hear about Sam's experience with that, as well as some preliminary information about VDSML's upcoming 2022 scholarship opportunities. I think that's enough information to set the stage, so let's go. Hey, Sam, man, I'm so excited to have you here on the Data Canteen. So for anybody who doesn't know, Sam was the winner of our 2021 VDSML scholarship. Our very first scholarship, it was to the Fourth Brain uh, Bootcamp for Aspiring Machine Learning Engineers. He finished that up a little bit earlier this year. So I know any of you who are familiar with that will be excited here in a little bit to hear about his experience with the Fourth Brain Bootcamp. Um, and he also happens to have some insight on our 2022 scholarship. So that'll be cool to talk about as well. But before we get into all that, like myself and so many other people in this community, Sam has an amazing story to tell about everything that has led him to this point in his life of being interested in data science and machine learning. Sam, as I was looking over your background, I noted that you were a Navy pilot. You've completed award-winning research for satellite design. Your interests include space flight. You've got a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering. Your hobbies are things like offshore sailing, cooking, scuba diving, and coffee. And then, of course, you're interested in data science machine learning. You're like the modern renaissance man. So with that uh, summary of what I gathered from your background, I can't wait to hear the story about how you, wherever you got started, grade school, college, military, and then uh, all the way to where you are now. Sure. Well, um, thanks, Ted. And, and honestly, I have to say it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, I think I told you right after I got the scholarship that... Uh, uh, I really wanted to be on the podcast, so I'm 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 glad we're making this happen. Um, one thing I'll start off with is is um, you know your journey is your own, and and you know I remember being a kid and and having all these really set and defined goals uh, that I just knew I was going to accomplish with no roadblocks, uh, but that's just not how things work uh, in life, and it's best to kind of just roll with the punches and go with the flow. So. Um, you use the term Renaissance man, but I think uh, master of none is probably what I would use. So, um, but I'll, I'll dive right in. So uh, I grew up uh, in the Midwest. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, grew up in a non-military family. And uh, I was, however, at, at a young age, obsessed with flying, obsessed with space. And it was just, um, I don't really know if it was just kind of the tail end of the shuttle program and kind of America's interest in in space flight. I was kind of waning at that point, but still very much alive in the in the early 90s. Um, but being a pilot for me was kind of the only option. For, you know, I, I didn't really apply to a lot of other colleges. I applied to, to the Naval Academy, I think to Michigan and like two others. Um, somehow I convinced the senator and a congressman to uh, to give me a nomination to get in there, and um, you know really had a had a great four years uh, there, and then, and then and got into flying. But uh, as a kid, I I used to um, I used to spend almost all my time uh, tinkering with stuff. I was kind of a a maker and a tinkerer at heart, um, 
And uh, later in college, I, after getting my first C at the Naval Academy and going up to the professor and asking, you know, why, why did, you know, why didn't I do well? Like, what, what am I missing? Uh, guaranteed first engineering class, everyone doesn't do well. So I didn't know that yet. Um, and he's like, you know, Sam, I think, I think the problem is that you think, you think like an inventor, you don't think like an engineer. And I think he meant that uh, as somewhat of an insult um, or not an insult, but rather like a, Hey, you need to get better at this. Um, but to be honest with you, I've, I've kind of taken that and run with it and turned it into part of my, uh, my personality and my way of, of, of building things and, and always questioning things at first principles. So even as a kid, uh, for me, um, I had a twin brother, so I kind of had a pre-installed, uh, best friend and, uh, you know, someone who's always down to tinker on something or take apart a car. So we spent mo most of our uh, most of our childhood building rockets, um, launching those rockets, and then getting them stuck in other people's you know trees and property. Um, and then a lot of time, you know, building planes and, and kind of getting into some of the early RC planes and stuff like that. So um, I was not I had no interest in in software. For me, that wasn't something that. I really wanted to learn about. I just wanted to learn about planes and aerospace engineering. Um, you know, went to went to high school, kind of just uh, set myself up as best as possible to to have a shot at going to the Naval Academy. While I always knew that I I wanted to join the Navy and go to the Naval Academy, um, you know, I, I didn't really start taking it seriously until senior year. Uh, however, I was doing well in school, and I had a lot of uh, activity on sports teams and leadership and stuff like that. So. Uh, I was able to kind of uh, get my stuff together and then apply. Um, shipped off to Plebe Summer uh, at the Naval Academy, which for me, uh, someone who didn't quite understand that, that that flying for the Navy also meant that you had to be in the military. It's just something that from a non-military family, I, I didn't quite connect those dots till I showed up on I-Day. And then you have people yelling in your face and you're kind of immediately getting acclimated to, to that journey. So... Um, what I think in the long run ended up being healthy uh, to always kind of question leadership and decisions and, and question your surroundings, uh, which is a great data science, um, uh, you know, a personality to have on board. But, uh, you know, for the military, it did take some adjustment for me. So after a brief period of kind of getting used to a new lifestyle, uh, you know, I've, I found the aerospace engineering department at the Naval Academy uh, kind of simultaneously as I found the uh, the offshore sailing team. So I kind of threw my myself headfirst into both of those um, very different uh, parts of, of the Naval Academy experience. Um, and so I got to do a lot of cool offshore sailing uh, for my four years there. Got to sail to Bermuda, got to go to, um, you know, all the way up to Canada and, and kind of all over the place doing cool racing on very fast boats. Um, and, you know, and I still to this day do that and it's a lifelong sport and it's one that I see a lot of cool applications for machine learning and data science because it's something that hasn't kind of hit that uh, racing community yet. So I uh, kind of have an idea to work on some stuff in my free time around that, that space. But uh, at the same time, uh, you know, kind of really started focusing heavily on engineering. Um, I never really liked the, the class structure. I always wanted to kind of go learn on, on different stuff. So uh, I discovered my sophomore year, so uh, we call that youngster year at the Naval Academy, that I could do research and actually get credit for it. So once once I started going down that 
um, that road, uh, I finally convinced some, some folks at the Naval Academy to let me build and launch a satellite. Um, so I spent the next three years uh, building a team uh, of which I was really lucky to have some awesome, awesome folks on that team uh, help me build and launch that satellite. Um, and it, it went up in 2015 uh, when I was in flight school. So that was a, a pretty cool accomplishment uh, even after I graduated. So other than that, you know, I, I studied aerospace engineering. I, I did a little bit of coding and software in college, but mostly MATLAB. Uh, and to be honest with you, it wasn't something that I was super interested in. Um, you know, at the time I was, I was very interested in kind of the orbital, orbital dynamics as well as, you know, satellite constellation, mission design, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it's a really, really big field, uh, that you can kind of dive headfirst into without writing a single line of code. Um, but I did realize, and, and one of my key takeaways from, um, uh, from the satellite project and, and delivering it is that, you know, any hardware project has some element of software in it. There is no pure hardware project. So I knew kind of leaving the Naval Academy that if I wanted to compete in the modern job landscape, you know, let's say after flying is, is complete or even during that time, that uh, writing software was, was going to be part of that. So in my free time and, and in, you know, in my own investigations, um, while I was in flight school, whenever, you know, it wasn't uh, super busy, uh, for whatever reason, I was always learning more about software, learning about Python, JavaScript, um, just so that I knew when I had to turn the corner at some point in my career that uh, I was going to be, um, you know, a generalist or, or be able to do do the software roles, but also understand the the hardware and the, the overall dynamics as well. Um, so once I once I graduated uh, from the Naval Academy and commissioned into the Navy, uh, threw myself. Uh, wholeheartedly into flight school, um, which is a really cool experience. It's a, it's a, um, it's one of the few times I think, or one of the few places in the military where you really get to just learn and be dedicated to a task 24 seven. And then your only job really in the, in the whole world for two years is to just learn to fly. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and I really love flying. And uh, I thought it was just like one of the coolest things that you can just take the system, learn everything there is to learn about that system, and then go strap it on and, and do it. So got to fly uh, four different aircraft and then was assigned a fleet aircraft to the E2D, uh, which is the Advanced Hawkeye, for those uh, who, who don't have those memorized like I do. Um, and then went to my squadron and, and really in, enjoyed it there. Um, however, I kind of learned pretty, pretty early on as I kind of insinuated that... Um, the Navy life long-term probably wasn't for me. And um, after spending some, some doing some deep thought and, and realizing, you know, hey, the odds of going to NASA or going to TPS and then going to NASA nowadays are, are just not as high as they used to be in the mid nineties or late eighties. Uh, and um, so I kind of decided that if I was gonna really advance my career, I, I was gonna have to leave the military. Um, and it was a really hard decision because I love flying, um, but I kind of knew uh, it was it was time time to go. Uh, really, by the time I, I set foot in my first squadron. So um, anyway, I got out of the uh, I got out of the military at the worst possible time, right at the beginning of COVID. Uh, I, I remember 
being so excited when I, I got my orders to get out. And then I knew, um, you know, you, you kind of don't get to pick the date, the date's picked for you. And then world events happen. And I was like, oh, that's, this is COVID things going to be interesting. And I was like, well, I'm changing jobs here in a few months. This is going to be interesting. So um, it, it actually, in hindsight, ended up being a blessing because I think sometimes taking challenges head on can make you think a little differently. And um, so rather than my, my planned endeavor, which was to just travel for a few months and take a ton of time off, uh, I ended up moving to Key West, Florida and living on my sailboat for a few months uh, with my then girlfriend and now fiance. I immediately uh, started working at a, a small company called Aaron Technologies, which is a, a government contracting consulting company that works mostly with, uh, with satellites, satellite data and satellite mission design for some of our intelligence community partners. Um, and oddly enough, I actually got into that job. Uh, I wasn't really looking for a job at the time. I was trying to just decompress and, and chill after, after leaving the Navy. Uh, but I got a call from my research advisor, who's still a really great friend and mentor to me to this day, um, from the Naval Academy. He's a research advisor on the satellite that we built. Uh, and he said, hey, there's this job opening at this company. Um, I think you might really like it. I think you should take the call. I know you're not really looking yet, but I think you might uh, might like it. And uh, pretty much got hired on the phone, started immediately uh, working for them. And uh, two years later, I'm actually still working for them. Um and it's been cool to kind of get thrown right off the deep end into some really, really tough problems uh, across the intelligence community research effort. Um, and that, that pretty much uh, brings us here, Ted. So, you know, one of the things I, I learned right off the bat, uh, like I said before, uh, is that software is going to be critical. And in, in the same way, I feel AI and ML is critical for the advancement of that software uh, into the modern age. So, uh, I knew early on um, that learning more about machine learning and data science was going to pay dividends. Um, so I initially became interested in fourth brain, uh, which we'll get into here in a bit, um, probably a year before the course, uh, right, right when it first came out, I think someone sent me a link to it and I was, I was like, Hey, this is interesting if I get the time. Uh, and I was able to, to kind of fit it in my schedule uh, and really, really learned a lot. So. Anyway, that brings us to uh, to right now. Cool. Okay, so reflecting on what you just laid out for us, it sounds like you started out with a passion and a, uh, and a significant interest in flying, satellites, space, all that kind of thing. That led you to, you grew up, you ended up going to the Naval Academy where you studied engineering. Um, that led to an interest in software and software design because you saw the need for that in relation to engineering. And while you were there at the Naval Academy, you got to design and launch a satellite. And then after you finished up at the Naval Academy, you were able to realize that dream and become a pilot and actually do quite a bit of flying. Um, then you got out and you kind of picked up with that engineering interest as a space systems engineer. Um, and then, like you said, you just finished up the fourth brain program where it sounds like in addition to software engineering, you hope to add on the abilities of AI and machine learning. Um, so that, that's just fascinating. I have to ask, I remember in high school, I really liked the movie October Sky. Is that a movie that um, is a favorite of yours? Absolutely. I think I watch it at least once a year. It's a really phenomenal film. Uh, for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's, it's worth uh, you know finding it on one of the streaming platforms. But 
uh, I think I had a, a poster of that on my wall uh, in high, in uh, high school. So I was very much inspired by uh, some of the paths of people like Homer Hickam and stuff like that. People that that um, similar to me, they you know they had big dreams and and maybe they didn't meet them exactly, but they they kind of pushed along the way and and um, you know at, at least successfully made a career out of it. I think one of the things that's that's hardest, especially for people in the military, where um, very often uh, you could join the military looking to do one thing and then it doesn't work out for one reason or another, uh, which seems to be the story that I hear more often than not from friends and, and, and folks in the military. So it's a very common uh, path to kind of roll with the punches and, and you know, be nimble and, and learn across different fields and, and sectors that so you can kind of be a generalist and apply yourself anywhere. Absolutely. Now, you know, we've had a, a number of people come on the show now who have a background in engineering. It seems that the training and the background um, and the fundamentals that engineers have and bring to the table tends to give them a, a significant advantage over a lot of other people um, in the space of AI machine learning. Um, do you agree with that, I guess, first of all? And then if so, what do you think some of those fundamental benefits are for people with an engineering background? Yeah, so uh, engineering is, is less of a profession and it's more of a mindset. Um, and, it, and it really is interdisciplinary. Like just because you studied aerospace engineering doesn't mean that you couldn't learn some of the fundamental aspects of mechanical engineering and be just as successful. In fact, between those two, for instance, there's a lot of fundamental courses that you take between both. Um, for me, I, I picked engineering um, at a very early age. I knew I was going to be an aerospace engineer. It didn't really matter uh, for me. But I was very sure that engineering was the right choice when I, I realized that it was a way of thinking. Uh, now, I already told you that I wasn't very good initially at that way of thinking, and I was told that I, I, I needed to learn it better. Uh, and it was hard, it, it, and it is hard to kind of um, tear things down to first principles or, or, or tear things down to systems. Um, but honestly, that skill uh, led me to the success that I had in flight school. And the same skill has led me to success as a space systems engineer and as a machine learning engineer. So being able to, to tear apart ideas or systems and, and put them into bins in your head and then connect those systems um, is very crucial. And it sounds kind of ethereal uh, and like hard to understand, but um, you know, I, if someone is interested in engineering, I would absolutely recommend that they pursue it, even if they're not necessarily interested in, in becoming an engineer. It's much harder to do it the other way around. So for those folks that haven't heard about it, could you tell them a little bit about what Fourth Brain is, what the boot camp is like, and what sort of graduates that they try to produce and, and what they prepare you for, like in terms of the workforce? Yeah, uh, of course. So one thing I will um, caveat is, you know, Fourth Brain is a boot camp in the sense that it's taking you from some lack of knowledge to some gain of knowledge um, on a pathway. But uh, one thing I think that's a little different about Fourth Brain is there's a higher expectation, um, at least compared to some other boot camps that I obviously have not participated in. So this is a, it's an opinion. Um, you need to have a little bit more knowledge coming into it and more curiosity versus just, hey, I know I'm going to take this JavaScript bootcamp because I know nothing about JavaScript and I want to come out the back end 
applying for a, I don't know, front end enge yeah, engineering, software engineering role. Uh, with fourth brain, you, you should have some either self-taught knowledge of, of at least Python um, and, and some fundamental understanding of Linux and, and some things like that. But um, success is, is much easier if you are already a data scientist or software engineer. I was none of those things. So I'm here to tell you you can do it. But um, it is, it is, I think, one of the criticisms that some folks have said about fourth brain is that the, the barrier to entry is high just on the knowledge front. Um, but I think with machine learning, it's pretty hard to remove that because machine learning is itself a very hard concept. It's very advanced uh, linear algebra, vector chain rule, gradient descent, all this stuff that um, if you didn't have a background in those things, um, it's gonna, just going to be harder for you to, to pick it up. So having been an engineer, having take, taken a lot of calculus courses, um, though I personally did not do great in them, um, and at least understanding these fundamentals uh, is going to kind of ensure success. So if someone is, I guess, to boil that down uh, to those listening, you know, if, if you just got out of the military and maybe you weren't as technical, kind of like me, you weren't as, uh, you weren't writing code software while you're in the military, um, might recommend taking, you know, a Python bootcamp or something like that first, um, and then pivoting that knowledge into something like fourth brain. Sure. So you would say fourth brain is not really the boot camp where you would go to get started with data wrangling. You probably should be pretty comfortable with that. Like you say, comfortable with Python. Um, and then this is more of an intermediate to advanced level learning experience. Exactly. And, and just to talk a little bit more about uh, my personal um, experience. So I had already been working for about a year on a large uh, government contract doing machine learning. Uh, before I took fourth brain. So I kind of had a fundamental understanding of the objectives of machine learning. I knew, uh, you know, how some of the basic PyTorch and TensorFlow models worked. I had played around with OpenCV. I had done some other, um, not bootcamp, but like other courses online, like mini courses, like uh, PyImageChurch is a great one for anyone looking for it, uh, just, some, just to see if they're interested in machine learning. Um, and that really gave me a leg up. One thing I would say to anyone... Uh, who's interested in ultimately getting into machine learning is, is really getting into data and data science first. Uh, and that's why it's veterans in data science and machine learning, not just veterans in machine learning, because machine learning is, is a subset. Um, and it is hard to go straight off the deep end. So rooting yourself in data and data science, whether it's data engineering, data analytics, business intelligence, any anything in that field, um, and then going to machine learning is, is a much more uh, healthy and achievable approach than just saying, you know, hey, I just got out of the Air Force, I was an avionics tech, and now I want to go be a machine learning engineer. So um, you can do that, but it, you're just going to have to build some fundamental understanding first. Absolutely. So you had the advantage of getting a good foundation there in a year uh, at your current company doing machine learning before you started the Fourth Brain Bootcamp. Um, now, that bootcamp is a intense experience that spans multiple months. I know you learned a ton going through that, but if you were going to distill that down and think about maybe the, the top two or three concepts, valuable takeaways or abilities that you walked away with, what would you say those are? So my, my goal going into, so I had a, a very clearly defined goal 
Uh, and I think I talked about this, Ted, during our, our interview for, for me getting the scholarship. But my goal for Fourth Brain was to personally discover when it is necessary to use machine learning, either classical or some of the newer um, deep neural network machine learning, when it's best to use machine learning and when it's best to solve your problem else, you know, with heuristics or, or in a different way. Um, so, so that was that was something I feel like I, I did achieve. Um, and I did discover that it wasn't just a binary question. It was, it was, it was a, um, a gamut of, of things you might select. So um, I now have kind of a, uh, a playbook of, hey, here's your data. Um, how would you approach that data? What would you do if you knew that you had already tried some other approaches and now need to use machine learning? What would you do if those classical machine learning uh, techniques aren't working? Um, and stuff like that. So uh, really, fourth brain is, is really good at showing you a wide gamut of machine learning approaches from your unsupervised, semi-supervised, fully supervised, uh, and then some of the stuff on the, on the cutting edge, like reinforcement learning at a very high level. Um, but, but truthfully, it's, it's exposing you to kind of the playbook and, and the options, and then, you know, getting you to that, uh, you know, I always say the 40-70 rule. So knowing 40% about something, now you can make a decision about it, but you certainly don't know more than 70%, and you're certainly not an expert. So it kind of gets you in that sweet spot, 40 to 70% of the knowledge on, on something so that you could go learn more. Because machine learning is, is one of those things that it's hard to just sit down and uh, and watch YouTube videos or take Coursera courses. Like you really have to dive in and you're going to have to ask questions that are, are hard to understand and that require um, discussions. Yeah. Now talking about the challenge of trying to learn this stuff from like YouTube videos or something like that. Anyone who's done significant upskilling in this space over a period of time, they've probably come to the realization that the best way to learn this kind of subject matter is through projects. Um, because you get into a real world project and you run into challenges and hurdles and you have to overcome them. And that's where, you know, even if you've heard the stuff before, that's where the knowledge really takes root and becomes meaningful and you set it to memory and it becomes something that you can reach back into your mind and quickly make use of, you know, on your job or whatever. So I think one of the things that's really cool about Fourth Brains Bootcamp is I know that they have pretty intense capstone that, um, that marks the end of the program for graduates. And having done some virtual coffees with you, I know that you were able to work on a really cool capstone project. So uh, I'd love if you would sort of launch into that, tell us, you know, what the name of that project is, what did it aspire to do um, sort of from the vision standpoint, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. So um, the thing, so I will initially say, and I should have said this at the forefront that the thing that really attracted me to fourth brain was the project aspect, because if you haven't figured out by now, I'm the type of person that learns by building something, not by just listening to uh, YouTube videos or, or an instructor. So uh, half of fourth brain and uh, the second half is all a capstone project. Um, and actually there, there is some project element, like a mini project in the first half too, that uh, can help you learn. Um, and, and our project was called Amplify. Uh, it was a team of uh, three folks. So two other folks and me, um, two other really, really capable engineers, uh, Christian Welling and, and John Drosher, if you're out there, thanks for all the hard work and uh, you guys should hire them. They're amazing. Um, 
so the three of us worked on uh, Amplify. And if you want to check it out, it should still be live at amplifygrid.com. Um, but it's a deployed web application that does, uh, it's a deployed machine learning workflow that does end-to-end -end machine learning, uh, which is kind of the, uh, the pinnacle in the machine learning community of <clears throat> taking something from a concept or just exploratory data analysis or just a data source to the actual model development and training, the model deployment, and then the inference. So it's it's a whole pipeline of stuff that happens uh, all in one. So so what is it? So um, you know, despite being also interested in space and flying and drones and all the other things that um, that you and I have mentioned and talked about, uh, I'm also really passionate about energy and the climate. Uh, I just see it as a large um, a large and obvious problem in our society. And uh, I think it's important that we spend a lot of time as a society finding and identifying people to go solve these problems. Um, and not so we can just terraform the earth, but, but so we can control how people use energy and things like that. So one of the things it comes down to is, is people being even exposed or knowing what sort of energy they use and, um, and kind of monitoring that and predicting that. So Amplify, which you should see if you've gone to the website, find out, amplifygrid.com, uh, predicts power usage and generation from solar panels 48 hours in advance. And it, it does this uh, mostly by using weather data and some other uh, data sources, namely the position of the sun, the elevation of the sun, stuff like that, um, and using a, uh, a, a LSTM model, a long short-term uh, memory model, we were able to, to do that and with a pretty remarkable amount of accuracy. So within four kilowatt hours, we were able to, or four kilowatts, excuse me, um, 48 hours in advance, which is pretty cool. Um, now guaranteed this was uh, all set up specifically to a building actually that's right outside my window that has solar panels and um, a lot of sensors on all of the lines, uh, power lines, so that they know exactly how much power each apartment using how much power the solar panels are generating. Uh, so it's very tailored to that specific apartment building, um, but it could be you know, deployed and, and commercialized across different, uh, different aspects if necessary. Um, we didn't really build it to solve like a business problem necessarily, but rather a machine learning problem. And so that's another thing I've learned uh, through Fourth Brain is that a lot of times um, you can do really cool stuff with machine learning, uh, but sometimes you have to, to step back and ask, are you asking the right question? Like, are you solving the right problem? Do, do your metrics make sense? Uh, what is your success criteria? So one of the things we learned with Amplify is, yes, it's very cool to predict how much power you're going to use into the future, uh, but like, who cares, right? So one of the things we added to kind of answer that question was um, folks, uh, so at this building next to me, there are... Um, 13 electric vehicle chargers hooked up. And so one of the things we thought is, well, that's a pretty big load. It would probably be best to optimize, you know, when that load should occur or when, if you had to charge 10 cars, when you should charge them. Um, so we didn't actually control anything on the building, but we did write a script uh, with some secret sauce that John came up with, uh, it was just brilliant, to, to figure out when to charge those vehicles. So if you see on the site, there's, um, you know, there's, there's little green bars that tell you when the best time to charge an electric vehicle is. Now, it turns out that um, 
you know, obviously if power is cheap in the middle of the night, uh, time of use rates, that's the best time to do it. But uh, what is kind of cool is you can see those thresholds when the predicted generation starts to go enough above the predicted usage, it'll tell you to charge in the middle of the day too. So in the future, when everyone has an electric car and can't everyone can't just charge when they get home at 5 p.m., we're going to have to schedule these things. So there are some business uses uh, coming down the line. Uh, but for the most part, I think um, for me, it was pretty eye-opening to see uh, how you can take a very, very messy data source. So the, the data sources that we were using were very hard to use, and we spent at least 80% of our time just cleaning data, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because I just told you it's a machine learning course. But realistically, if you go out there like we did and you find your own data source, you're going to spend a lot of time debugging. You know, one We had issues with look-ahead error. We had issues with time zone. We had issues with um, data that was just missing for some reason, like the something rebooted and data didn't show up. And when you have like thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of data, you can't just go through it. So it all has to be automated. Um, so if you're out there and you're thinking about doing fourth brain and you write Python and you know Python, you know, knowing pandas and numpy, uh, numpy are really, really going to help you be successful at fourth brain. And um, honestly, I think we would have been, we would have been in trouble without uh, Christian and John's knowledge uh, of those two uh, software packages and being able to make use of that before we even started any model development or the real TensorFlow machine learning. Um, but what was also cool is, you know, I had a background in cloud engineering, cloud deployment. So uh, once once we got it all built uh, and Christian had some front end experience, like the team really came together to to do um, to do some work to, to build out the front end and, and make it work. So th the one thing I'll say is that machine learning is not something that just exists in isolation anymore. So uh, I think the best machine learning engineers are the machine learning engineers that are also data scientists, that are also software engineers, um, and that don't just build models kind of on their own, but integrate with other teams and integrate, frankly, into the DevOps and MLOps cycles that you see about now. Absolutely. So um, I love that you guys picked a difficult issue, a challenging issue. You picked a relevant issue to our time, something that's just going to become increasingly more important, as you said, um, as more and more people get electric vehicles. Uh, they consume a tremendous amount of energy. Um, just to put in perspective, uh, the, the Tesla Cybertruck that's expected to come out next year, I've heard that if you get the wall charging station for your house so it can... Um, or the wall power station rather for your house. So it can act as like a backup power supply. If your power goes out, that mm -hmm. truck will be able to power your house to include like your HVAC and everything for two weeks. That's the estimate. So that gives some sense of how much power is stored in these vehicles. And if they're, um, you know, if the battery significantly depleted and you're doing a full recharge, I mean, that's a tremendous pull on electricity. And once that becomes normal, as you said, and everyone has that type of vehicle, then a system like the one that you guys worked on there in your capstone is it's not going to be a nice to have. It's going to be something that uh, utility companies absolutely have to have and roll out um, across, you know, residential buildings and commercial buildings everywhere um, so that they can you can manage that load and everybody's not trying to get the same thing at the same time. Uh, also appreciate yeah. you being transparent about some of the challenges that you guys ran into. You mentioned, um, 
you know, what we all realize with real, real world projects and real world data is that it's always a tragic disaster that you have to somehow clean up and make usable. Um, aside from the dirty data, were there any other notable hurdles that you guys ran into that you had to overcome? I know sometimes simply data availability, like trying to get the right data for the project you want to do is, is a challenge. So anything along those lines or otherwise that you haven't mentioned? Yeah, I mean, there's a huge list. Um, so keep in mind, this all happened in eight weeks. And I think if we could go back, like we bit off a lot, you know, and our, our project was very complicated. And for us, success criteria was getting to the finish line because it was just a lot. Um, but, but one thing to keep in mind, yeah, with this machine learning project, the model is a very small part of it. And people spend a lot of time at universities and, and research labs and other places developing these amazing models um, and they're good. So really, uh, and you hear about it all the time now, but data centric AI and ML is the future because trying to reinvent how an LSTM works uh, during your fourth brain capstone is just, you're just going to pull your hair out. So, um, so the clean data is, is the hardest part. So to give you an example of that, the, um, we had all these issues with normalization. So normalization allows you to, kind of scale all the features in your data set. So features in this case being power usage or position of the sun or day of the week. Um, and one thing we found is that because the week is a sawtooth, right? So it's one, then it's two, then it's three. Uh, we are able to kind of, rather than doing that, we were able to sinusoidally encode the day of the week and the position of the sun and turn it into two features that were basically revolving around a a circle so using sine and cosine so like i said deeply 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 rooted in math um and actually like once we turned that on it just started working it was really cool um and i think uh i think that was a, a john and christian 3 a.m revelation after finding someone's paper on it and we're like we could do this it's not that hard so um and, and honestly those little 3 a.m re revelations when you're exhausted and you just figure out something, uh, they make this stuff addicting. Like they make ML really fun. Um, and, and what's nice is it's the code is actually, once you get good at it, the code's pretty easy to write. A lot of API integration uh, and in, interaction with Python. Um, but like when you can really kind of see how the model's working and how the data's working, it makes you feel uh, like you're learning a lot and that it's that's actually doing the thing that you built it to do. Um, so to your previous comment though, you know, about the vehicle to grid or, battery storage, uh, that, that's really kind of what inspired us initially to kind of go down this rabbit hole. Um, again, building something that isn't quite necessary yet. Uh, so one of the things we see Amplify being like useful for is say you had 13 cyber trucks all hooked up out there and there's a power outage, you could you know use the, this controller to control the microgrid uh, that now exists between the trucks and, and the apartments. Um, or you could figure out when to best charge and discharge those trucks, or in my case, you know, discharge my car, or even just batteries that are installed in the basement, right? You could do that too. So, um, but to give listeners kind of those who aren't aware of the loads required to charge electric vehicles, um, you know, my car is 80 kilowatt, uh, 80 kilowatt, kilowatt hours of energy stored in it. Um, so when you get home, you know, with a low state of charge and you charge it all the way up, that's 80 K that's like, you know, an average American household uses like 16 kilowatt hours in a day. And you just use that in a couple hours. So, 
it, it can be a lot of power all at once. Um, so it, it, is, it is a problem that we will have very soon. Cool. So um, changing gears a little bit. So, and last year you were the beneficiary of VDSML scholarship, having done the boot camp and had a good experience. Now you're very generously, you've come back and you're actually serving on our scholarship committee for 2022. So you've got some cool insight about what we're hoping to do with scholarships uh, for the coming year. And those will be rolling out in just a, a couple of months later this summer. Um, so if you could just introduce um, the audience who might be interested in scholarships to what you guys have in mind for uh, 2022. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start off with, you know, to the uh, VDSML members listening. Thank you. Seriously. Uh, literally couldn't have done it without you. So thanks for your support, uh, both monetarily and, and otherwise. Um, and, and for those of you that aren't uh, members yet and are thinking about joining, uh, please do so because it's a great community. Um, so, you know, one of the things uh, I said I wanted to do is give back. Uh, you know, I thought this the scholarship is such a great idea and it enables people that are ML tangential or AI ML data science tangential to really break out into the community and, and to be successful. Um, and frankly, you know, having having been picked for a scholarship makes you, you know, kind of cuts through some of that imposter syndrome that we all suffer as uh as folks leaving the military because you just feel like you're disconnected from something you know spent six years 10 years whatever doing something not on the critical path of the tech world or the ai world you feel separate um so you know having the support of other veterans and stuff like that monetarily and otherwise uh really kind of makes you feel like you can be successful so for me it was critical and and feeling validated and feeling like i could do this so thank you um, so the, the people that we're looking for, um, well, I'll, I'll kind of talk a little bit about, so, you know, um, how the scholarship committee uh, of which I'm now just a member, um, is architecting scholarships of the future. So one thing we said at the beginning of this is that, uh, hopping right into fourth brain might be a little bit too much. So, um, the scholarship committee has come up with this idea of, of nano scholarships where, uh, we haven't quite figured out how it's going to be implemented, but um, we're going to allow folks to to do small uh, courses on their own, self-paced courses on things like DataCamp and uh, Coursera, uh, where they can learn Python or they can learn SQL or something like that. Something, some useful data science need, and really decide if if they're headed in the right direction. Um, because you know, like I said, it's best to kind of wander around, figure out what you're interested in. Uh, first and really be sure of yourself rather than get you know roped into a fourth brain course on machine learning and realize that you you know maybe you didn't really want to do it in the first place um i, I will say you know during fourth brain that we did have people leave the cohort it, it it wasn't like a rubber stamp easy everyone graduates like there were folks that that didn't make it through um and it, it is it is challenging so i think having a mini scholarship um Will will help people learn some of those fundamental skills uh, before they kind of go off and do something as big as Fourth Brain. Um, we're also still going to have the Fourth Brain Scholarship, which is an annual scholarship um, that allows you know Fourth or uh, VDSML to basically support one person every year going through uh, up to a certain percentage uh, going through Fourth Brain, and it's uh, 
you can apply for it now uh, before you've applied for for fourth brain and then uh you know once you get accepted then apply to fourth brain and you don't necessarily you can do it in the other order and you don't necessarily have to do it uh, immediately so what i'm trying to say is it's a um it is a low burden scholarship you don't have to write a bunch of essays or anything like that to your congressman it's it's a very simple uh thing and, and we we have it to support members to do kind of what i did and to feel validated and supported um there will be uh, some more information coming on that on the uh, VDSML website. So uh, I recommend that uh, you go there to look for more information. But uh, for those listening that maybe don't want to go that route, I definitely recommend um, you check out the, the nano scholarships as well, because uh, it's a great way to start learning uh, without you know being stuck with uh, 16 weeks of, um, of machine learning. It's a, it's a lot. So. Um, one thing I will say on that topic, kind of as a tangent for you, Ted, that I, I meant Ted earlier, is that uh, fourth brain is is a large time commitment. Um, I think they say it's about fifteen to twenty hours. Um, I think that number is is predicated on someone who is already a data scientist. So if you're someone like me that was kind of ML adjacent or uh, data science adjacent, um, who maybe doesn't have as fundamental of an understanding of Python and and pandas and stuff like that, it's probably gonna take you more time. It, it doesn't mean you can't succeed, it just means you're gonna take more time. So I found myself spending at the very least 20 hours a week doing it. And then um, our capstone was very sophisticated and complicated, uh, although it is boiled down nicely into a neat, neat little web app, so it looks pretty simple from the outside. But um, when we were doing that, there was many late nights. Um, so it, it was a very, large time commitment and i will say working full-time during that was um was an extreme challenge so thanks you know to the aaron tech team for for letting me throttle back on some of my commitments over there to focus on on learning um that was uh that was definitely critical to, to being successful there well, sam thanks for all the that information about the upcoming 22 2022 scholarships i love the direction that the committee is taking our scholarships because Sounds like for those folks who might be interested in applying to the fourth brain scholarship because they're at that intermediate level and they've got the time necessary to commit to do uh, a boot camp that's that intense, that's still going to be available. But for people who are earlier in their learning journey, maybe you're not quite sure if the data sphere is for you, you want a good way to try it on for fit and start dipping your toes in the water. Um, or maybe you're, you're a little bit, you know, into your learning journey and you want to take things more seriously but you don't have you know, due to family commitments work commitments or whatever you don't have the latitude to make the full-on commitment to fourth brain um, you can apply to one of these uh, nano scholarships that are going to be offered more frequently throughout the year um, and you can apply that to uh, an appropriate coursera course or data camp course um, and 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 exactly which platform it's going to be relevant to i know is still um, we're still solidifying that on the committee side, but that's going to be available to people that can't make that full fourth brain commitment. So it, there's going to be a broader array of, of scholarships available and we'll be able to benefit the learning journey of more of our members uh, in 2022. And I think that's super exciting. So very cool. Thanks for laying that out for us. Um, now, what I'm curious to know about, you finished the fourth brain program, which was kind of a turning point. You mentioned that you were, um, AI ML adjacent before doing fourth brain and you acquired all those skills during the boot camp. So now you have them. 
Um, are you going to use that to be uh, better in your current role? Or when you look out into the near to midterm future, do you have other aspirations on your career trajectory and you hope to use that fourth rank experience to kind of hip pivot um, into something a little bit different? Yeah, so I'll say, you know, even in the after the first couple of weeks of, of fourth brain, I noticed uh, and, you know, there's some confirmation and availability bias at play here uh, for you, uh, Daniel Kahneman folks. But, you know, uh, having having that knowledge and like going through this course made you kind of see things already a little bit differently uh, and guaranteed I was working on a large machine learning research and development program. So I was familiar with some of this. Uh, but I started to see the problems that we talked about, like, uh, you, you know, uh, having data, data sets that were improperly weighted uh, and stuff like that, or, or not using normalization or th things like that across all these different projects. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm learning about this right now. So the problems that these teams are trying to solve are something I now understand. So I will say uh, for someone that was working in the field, um, I saw an immediate gain in my ability to kind of be a value add to the team because I'm starting to understand uh, some of the deep machine learning problems uh, of class imbalance or something like that. Um, and then also kind of towards the end, I was able to, to help these teams that were working on this hard problem solve issues that they had, um, which really felt validating. Um, now, uh, where have I gone since then? So like I said, um, you know, Aaron Tech has been really good to me. It's a, it's a phenomenal company, and it's one of the few places I think in the IC that you can get plugged in on some really hard and cool problems and, and be able to be as uh, interactive and uh, uh, you know uh, you know interactive and, and present as I was. So, um, but that said, uh, I already said that I had an interest now currently in energy and the climate. So I am starting a new role at a new company. Uh, based in Austin. It's a startup called Arbor. And we're going to be working uh, with a lot of energy data and we're going to help people save money on, on their uh, power bill and help them switch their, their power supply from, uh, you know, uh, dirty energy or coal or something like that to, to clean energy if that's something that they're interested in. So uh, it kind of goes back to that fundamental uh, statement I made earlier where people just knowing how much energy they use every month or having a, a more of a touch point with it, or even just some small nudges um, can, can help us, you know, start to solve this problem. So. Well, congratulations on the new role. That sounds amazing. Um, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here because you and I haven't talked about this, but um, in the VDSML community, we always stress how important it is to do projects, do projects on your own, make that investment, have a robust GitHub portfolio to showcase your skills and abilities. Um, and I, I just have to believe that there's, that it can't be a coincidence, the nature of the project that you did at fourth brain and the nature of this new role you just landed. I'm guessing that that project really probably played a instrumental role in you landing this new job. Is that, am I, am I right? Or am I off base with that? No, I think you're correct. So it's it's not the same problem. So this this company's in no way trying to solve the the amplify problem, but right. Um, but they probably saw your it, passion it is, to solve energy exactly. related problems. Yeah, 
Exactly. And, and I tell, you know, I've done a lot of interviews with folks myself and, and when a candidate comes along and they seem really passionate and I notice they don't have any GitHub or they, you know, they have no commits on anything. It's like, well, you know, are they really that passionate or are they just passionate in this interview because they want the job and guaranteed, you know, maybe that's okay. Uh, and I also understand, you know, kind of in, in our community, in my community, uh, sometimes you can't put everything on GitHub. I've done a lot of stuff, a lot of cool work and a lot of cool ML stuff that I'd love to just throw out there, but it's, um, you know, it, it's not something I can do. So even my GitHub profile is not as, um, you know, not as available as, as I think it, it could be, but, you know, I do have a lot of other little personal projects on there. And so when you're going for a job and you have a GitHub profile with code that you wrote on it, it really makes you look three-dimensional and it makes you look like someone that's not just a coder in the office. Uh, and then, you know, you do what else with your free time, but you're someone that's actually passionate, interested about this and you're going to push the boundary and, and you're not going to be, um, someone that needs, you know, a lot of oversight and management. So, uh, that's one of the first things I look at when I look for candidates and I'm, I'm sure they did the same thing. Um, Amplify is actually still private on GitHub. Um, though I, I think John and Christian and I have talked about, uh, releasing that, but there is still some, uh, some twinkling thought of, about turning that into something else. So we haven't opened that up to uh, the broader community yet. Um, and that's also because some of the data set we don't want to share with folks because it's, it's literally from people's apartments and stuff like that. So there's some ethics uh, rooted in that as well. Um, yeah. Very cool. Well, um, it was great earlier hearing about the project you did called Amplify, and we'll make sure that there are links to that in the show notes so that anybody wants to go out and play around with your web app, we'll be able to do that. Um, now, yeah, and there's a, so there's you, a slide deck on there too if you want to learn more about how we architect the model. All that stuff is, is available on the slide deck on the web app as well. Oh, fantastic. So you did Fourth Brain. That was an intense learning experience. Um, and I'm sure you took a little bit of a, of a well-deserved break after that, but any of us in this field, it's just comes with the territory. The learning is never done. Um, we'll learn the rest of our lives and still only know the tip of the iceberg. So with that being said, I have to ask, what's your new current le learning focus? So, uh, kind of ironically, uh, SQL is one of the things that I want to learn more about, um, it's something that I just haven't had to use it. So I've never had to learn it. I've, I've, I've used some very similar things with similar syntax, but haven't quite gone through SQL. So it's one of the courses I'm, I'm starting on data camp, uh, just to kind of freshen up before I start to work in full time at this new role. Um, I am also always learning more about cloud, uh, cloud deployments, cloud engineering, all that stuff. It's something that, uh, like I said earlier, being a data scientist who knows machine learning, who knows DevOps, who knows uh, cloud engineering and all these things makes you a really, really uh, attractive to employers, even if you're not doing all three of those things in your job. Uh, and obviously working in a startup, you do have the ability to do more than just uh, one thing and you get to experience different uh, stuff across the company. Uh, but it allows you to be, uh, to kind of understand like and build stuff in a better way so that you can make other people's other developers life easier. Um, so I'm always learning more uh, about cloud deployments and stuff like that. Tons of Kubernetes learning lately, learning Terraform, uh, just cause I've mostly been using AWS. Um, so I'm trying to kind of move away from AWS and learn more infrastructure as code. 
elsewhere. Um, doing a lot of Google Cloud stuff recently, which is cool. Uh, so, you know, kind of seeing how stuff is built over there, which is very different. Um, and then I'm kind of tinkering around with some more off-the-shelf ML stuff um, so that you can do machine learning. Uh, you can solve the same machine learning problems without having to build your own algorithm, but, uh, you know, use use some of the managed services that AWS and Google and Azure are now offering. Well, real quick. So you mentioned... Um you having used AWS and Google cloud platform. And then there at the very end, you mentioned Azure. I'm not sure if you've actually used that one as well. Um, but for people who've maybe only used one, or maybe they've just never really touched cloud computing um, real quickly, how would you kind of rack and stack those? Do you have a favorite? Um, or, or what are the main differentiators between the, the three major players there? So really, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and working on this, uh, mostly with government customers. And I've spent almost all of my own time working with AWS just because of how contracts are set up. AWS tends to be uh, more present. However, that is changing quickly. So uh, right now, if, if you're listening to this and you're, you're not in the data science community, but rather you're a cloud engineer and you only know AWS, you know, learning Google Cloud and learning uh, Azure is probably worth your time because uh, it, they're very similar and pretty much anything you can find across any of the three of those is present somewhere in the other one. Um, you know, they each kind of have their own specialties, um, but for the most part, like, you know, if, if you wanna do something on AWS, there's a way to do it on, on Google Cloud as well. In terms of ease of entry, if you're someone that hasn't learned any of them and you wanna, you wanna start learning, uh, I think Google Cloud is probably the most approachable. Uh, and, and if you want to try some of their uh, managed data and ML services, they're probably the easiest to set up. Um, you know, if for enterprise customers and stuff like that, they tend to lean over to the AWS side of the house because things are harder to set up, but more uh, tunable uh, out of the box. Uh, but realistically, you can get the same sort of... Um, the same cloud goodness, if you will, from from all from all three of those, and there's more coming up behind them, right? You hear about IBM and Oracle all the time, and and Salesforce has a cloud, so there's lots of other clouds you could learn too, uh, if you're kind of in that ecosystem. So it doesn't have to be one of those three, um, and uh, but really, you know, mastering one and 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 understanding kind of fundamentally how the system works, uh, it, you can find it's pretty easy to move to other ones because a lot of it's architected the same way in the hyperscalers. Very cool. Thanks for that insight. Now, um, among VDSML members, one of the big benefits of being in a community is we get to share tips and tricks and, hey, here's the latest book I read that really helped me, or here's this course that was helpful. So I'd love for you to share your favorite learning resources. Um, I know as a long-term VDSML member, your number one favorite podcast has to be the Data Canteen, but we'd love to hear about the distant second favorite. Um, as well as uh, your books on machine learning, um, Coursera courses, that kind of thing. Sure. Well, let's start with podcasts because you know, hey, we're that's where we are right now. Um, so Lex is always good for for folks for for ML stuff. Uh, Lex Friedman, great resource. Uh, you know, a lot of times you'll go on there listening about something and just learn something completely new. Like I learned the other day that the bacteria on the space station has evolved to the point where it is 
a completely separate species. So there is bacteria that exists on the space station that when astronauts you know, go on orbit and come back is now present in their bodies that's not available on Earth, which is just like, wow. Like after 20 years plus a little more than 20 years on orbit, um, bacteria have evolved for, for zero G. So that that's cool. So Lex, I learned that on Lex. Um, a new one I just discovered that that I, I want to share that's kind of ML adjacent, but also in energy is Catalyst uh, with Shayla Khan. Really cool podcast, uh, very energy specific, but uh, a lot of kind of crossover with stuff kind of in uh, in the ML space as well. Uh, in terms of books, um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Amazing, amazing tome. And you should absolutely pick it up um, or listen to it. Uh, I, li I tend to listen to books. I'm just more of an auditory learner in general. Um, and for long road trips and stuff, it's great to listen to that. Um, I also read um, Nate Silver from 538, his uh, Signal in the Noise, another really awesome book. And I was actually reading that during Fourth Brain, um, which was kind of cool because there's a lot of really good crossovers with what he was doing, like K-means clustering and stuff like that for his data for both baseball and, and politics. Um, and it was really cool. It kind of helped solidify some learning for me. So that's, that's always a recommendation on my list. Um, so I'll, I'll leave you with just those two. As far as resources, um, just for, for pure, you know, machine learning interest, um, you know, YouTube is, is always great. I know, uh, was it the three, three brown, one blue? I think we've all spent hours getting sucked down the rabbit hole of some of those YouTube videos. Uh, they're just fantastic. Um, so anytime I don't understand a concept, uh, a specific concept, you can usually find a YouTube video on it that's just way down the rabbit hole, which is cool. So that's a good one. Uh, Pi Image Church is a cool one for, for OpenCV and learning computer vision stuff. Uh, that's, a, that's an awesome resource. Um, you know, Fourth Brain is an awesome resource, but it takes a little while to get into it. So I've got to throw that out there. And then... Um, you know, from as far as like the paid courses and stuff, uh, Data Camp seems to be uh, a really great resource, but it's obviously not free. Um, but really, uh, I think what's what's great is that searching for some of this stuff now is is a lot easier. I know a couple of years ago, if you having an issue with um, searching for I don't know some class imbalance problem, just since I threw that out earlier, it, it, you couldn't find an article on it. But now you can search it, and a towards data science, you know, medium uh, article will come up right at the top. And someone who spent a lot of time uh, writing and thinking thinking about these problems has, has put uh, put information out there. So uh, what's nice is that it's now easier than ever to get resources on ML and engineering and data science. Um, so I highly recommend that. Uh, you, you know, you, you search hard for it and, and you'll find what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely, Sam. We are very fortunate to be doing uh, data science and machine learning in the era that we're in when um, we're so flush with resources and such an information-rich environment. So with that, I think we're about at the end of our time. Thank you so much for being so generous to come on and tell us about your experience with Fourth Brain, um, your data gener your data journey more generally and the direction that our new scholarships are going in 2022. I think the last thing to cover uh, throughout the episode here, we've had um, your, your LinkedIn username. So that's one way that people can reach out to you. But what's your preferred means of contact for people that have watched this? Maybe your story inspired them or sparked questions they'd like to reach out to you. 
Great. Yeah. So uh, LinkedIn's always an easy, uh, easy way to get a hold of me. It's one of the few social medias that I'm, I'm still on. So uh, that's, that's probably the easiest. If you want to send a quick message, uh, feel free. Um, if for whatever reason you're not on that platform, uh, you know, or, or don't want to sign up, uh, I would say join VDSML because we have a little Slack channel going there. So that's, that's a really great way to come find me. Um, I hang out on Slack there and, 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 uh, try to participate as much as I can and help folks out. Um, so, you know, joining VDSML and joining that Slack channel is a really easy way to get direct contact. Um, and then, you know, I'm also comfortable with, with folks emailing in. So if you want to, if you listen to this and you heard me, um, you know, you can go ahead and shoot me an email. Uh, it should be pretty find, pretty easy to find uh, nowadays, but you can grab that from my website, uh, samsype.com, or you can go to sype.io and, and it'll take you right there. Fantastic. All right. Well, again, Sam, thanks so much for coming on. Love talking to you. Look forward to hearing from you again in the future and take care. Thanks so much, Ted. Thank you for joining Sam and I for this conversation about his unique journey into the data sphere and how the VDSML community and our 2021 scholarship have empowered him to pivot into the next chapter of his career. With that, until the next episode, I bid you clean data, low p-values, and Godspeed on your data journey. The Data Canteen. Listen, grow, thrive.